Thank you for downloading The Tully Show. As always, it is a delight to welcome back dear friend of the show, Tony Thaxton, host of the Bizarre Albums podcast. Your brief weekly reminder, if music-themed podcasts are your bag, a plethora of delights await you at patreon.com slash Mike Tully. I'm doing a music-themed podcast just about once per week, and that's on top of live streaming, bad movie hangs, the Tully Time News headline show, the inexplicably popular rambling man podcast where i just pretty much ramble that and more happening at my patreon see what you've been missing patreon.com slash mike tully okay you ready to start this show uh your host of the evening is a really funny dude um i forgot his last name but i've seen him before and he's really funny uh give it up for mike Coming to you live on tape during week 3047 of quarantine from my now nine-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California boasting a partially obstructed view of the smog-shrouded urban sprawl of the City of Angels. This is still The Tully Show. I remain your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, once again, the once and future drummer of Motion City Soundtrack, the host of the Bizarre Albums podcast. To know him is to love him. Hello and welcome back, Tony Baxton. Hello. Thank you for having me back. I don't know that anyone has ever said to love or to know him is to love him. And oh, boy, really? I, boy, did that feel nice. I think they're constantly saying it about you behind their back the freshly shorn tony thaxton yeah that's the that's the level of uh uh <laughs> quarantine we're at now just bore, sh- shaved the beard off out of complete just something to do yeah like no reason kind of impulsive and uh yeah hey man you got to shake it up i sometimes i think uh you know change for for change's sake can just can be the impetus yeah, I've been trying to do. I can't tell you how many times I've rearranged the furniture in my place oh, no. in the last year, and yeah, it's. Uh, I need some. I need some hobbies, uh, and I feel like I have hobbies, but those aren't cutting it anymore. Seemingly not enough. Yeah, I yeah. feel like if should you, and I hope you never do, find yourself in solitary confinement, you will be far more prepared to weather that storm <laughs> psychologically and emotionally <laughs> than you would have been this time last year. We're coming up on a year now. Uh, lucky us living yep. our best lives hey my parents my parents got the um appointment tomorrow to get their first that's great shot. yeah they live in a state with an effective functional infrastructure yeah so where are they they're in new jersey okay well i no, no, no. Okay. i shouldn't say they're in a state with the functional infrastructure <laughs> they're in a state with a long established and uh dysfunctional yet functional system of if you know a guy who knows a guy you can get anything right. done new J- yeah. new J- new jersey the slogan should be it's really like that <laughs> you know i was i was i was thinking i was actually just talking to someone yesterday I, I a very casual friend of mine had said something about getting the vaccine that they already got it well and uh, like they've already had the two doses and everything and i was like wow that must be a relief but also as i was saying all this i was like Oh, it's probably a relief, but at the same time, probably really f- still frustrating because you're like pretty much good now, but you still can't do anything because the, there's there's nowhere to go. There aren't things to do. 
Yeah, but I'm such a broken, beaten down dog at this point. First of all, when and if I get, well, when I get presumably two shots of a vaccine, I'm going to need to educate myself on exactly what that means. What level of safety can I now expect to enjoy? Yeah. But, but you know, being a relatively young, relatively healthy person with no pre-existing conditions, if I get the two shots, I have to assume, you know, n now I need to go back to living my life. There, there's been so little. I don't, I don't, maybe I would accidentally, not accidentally brush up against a stranger in public just because it's been so long since you could do that without mm -hmm. freaking out about the possible repercussions of it. There are so few, you know, I would, I, w I would dine at places that are partially enclosed, Tony. Yeah. I'd go fucking wild. No, I know. I, I get that. But it, I guess, I don't know. I think maybe I'm just looking at it from my own perspective of like, well, I'm, likely still not going to be able to play shows for a bit true um i can't i don't know just like go like record shopping or go to nope. disneyland and things like that you know it's still these are all that's true. still that's still a ways away i think dude i need to say this quietly because i'm in my kid's bedroom and i don't know where they are they don't know disneyland gave back all the annual pass money oh, right yeah there aren't my everybody here's on everybody here under the age of 38 is, is operating <laughs> on the assumption that it's back on and nobody knows when what is back on at that yeah. place yeah. yeah such a weird time incredibly weird but you have a new friend i've seen on social media yeah and i was actually just gonna almost say to he has a wonderful habit of he's like very mellow most of the time but he is a, a french bulldog so they're they're very snorty at times huh. and also it seems like anytime i record something is when he decides that's when he's going to play with a noisy toy and right now oh, he's yeah, got yeah. this crinkly toy and i was thinking maybe i should pull that away from him a i can't hear a thing b my animals do the exact same thing okay so don't even worry about it i did I, my last week's episode of this show was me talking to a guy in jerusalem about the israeli-palestinian conflict it was like the heaviest driest <laughs> episode i've ever done and in the background you can just hear my daughter fucking wailing for like 15 solid minutes <laughs> So, All right. Well, we're safe. So yeah, for, for the listener, not, you know, yeah. you may you may hear some background noises and that's ambient. Uh, that's, that's my little that's my little chubby guy. Yeah. Welcome to our respective worlds. Our casa <laughs> is now your casa, both for good and for bad. So speaking of my children, they are the only reason that I stumbled upon the topic that I would like to discuss with you this week. We watch all sorts of children's movies good mediocre and absolutely horrible and so you start kind of looking around in the margins and going oh shit so and so was slumming and you know i forgot that uh david cross took money to be in oh, what piece of shit movie chipmunks yeah and chipmunks right exactly and you go oh wow remember when those guys were big for three months that must have been the exact same three months that this movie was made because they recorded a theme song for it yeah and this is this is the sort of thing that piques my interest so on the decent probably overrated at the time but decent side of children's and family entertainment, the first Adams Family movie was a bona fide pop culture phenomenon. And that's probably the early 90s that we're talking about, right? Yeah, I think that was 91, I think. That, that sounds about right. I was a little bit too old for that at the time. And, and, and I remain a little, a little too old for that. If you love jokes where they, they say that they're doing something bad and then the person reacts like that's a good thing. 
What are you doing today? <laughs> Chopping my head off. Oh, that sounds delightful. You will fucking love every Adams <laughs> Family movie that's ever been made. <laughs> I definitely saw that movie in the theater. And yeah, man. I that might be the only time I ever saw it. And I remember enjoying it as a kid, but like if I were to sit down and watch that movie right now, it would be like seeing a movie I've never seen before. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the fun thing about movies. It used to be movies from the 80s. Now movies from the 90s are becoming that. You can see all of them again for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so if you saw it in the theater, perhaps you even ponied up for a single of the smash hit song that was spawned from the soundtrack. Of course, this was Prime Hammer Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody knows it, but just to refresh everybody's memory, MC Hammer, I want to say, went on Saturday Night Live and performed the Adams Groove. Yeah, he may, did he, it might have even been one of those uh, host and musical guests. I think you're right. He was worthy. Yes, at, the, at, that, at 1991, yes. Yeah, yeah, it was the year of the hammer. So for in case people want to relive the memories, actually, I'm going to play it for a very specific reason, which will become clear in a second. Here's Adam's Groove from MC Hammer. Right. A, a terrific song if you're less than 10 years old. I'm, And you talked about the having the single. I'm pretty sure that I did. Yeah. One observation that has nothing to do with the larger topic that I want to discuss with you today. I thought at the time, and I remain convinced that, okay, can we agree that is not a great song by MC Hammer, Adam's Family Groove? Yeah, we can definitely. But but also at the same time, I will admit that it's one of those like it. It definitely has that nostalgia thing. Where I, I'm in no sure. way saying it's good, but it'll kind of it'll make me it'll give me a little smile if I hear it. Though it brings you back. It brings yeah. you back. Okay, <clears throat> I'm not a hip hop guy at all, and like same. many 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 not hip hop guys, I am a big Outcast guy. Mm-hmm. They're like my exception, and I, I I hate to do this because I love Outcast, but I do think it is odd that we can all agree that the Adams Family Groove is a is a horrible song, and yet this song right here was taken as a credible piece of music and probably a number one hit. You will all remember. forgot about that one i'm sorry you could <laughs> very easily rap about cousin it yeah in the cadence and to the beat right like to to the extent where perhaps hammer should have received a small amount of royalties from outcast for the whole world perhaps perhaps do you know the uh the the fun fact about uh adam's groove i can't wait to know it uh, well, I'll, I'll recommend to you and anybody listening, uh, you know, now, now I'm just plugging myself, but I, I did, Please do. I did an episode, a, a live episode of Bizarre Albums on Michael Jackson's Ghosts, which is not actually an album. I did it for a live show because it's a, a video. Yeah. It's like a 35, 40 minute, like movie yes. thing, right? And it's, it's yeah, okay. completely insane. It, it happened right. like after his, <laughs> the child molestation accusations first happened and all this. Anyways, long story short, the story is pretty fascinating, but that was supposed to be originally for the Adams family. And 
then the uh, they had even started working on the video at this point. They're, they're, and you can see some of the video on of the original version on YouTube. They did they shot like everything except for the actual song part because apparently he hadn't even written it yet. But they shot all this other stuff around it. And so yeah, it was supposed to be for Adam's family, and then all the child molestation accusations happened. So then they dropped him, and it went to MC Hammer instead. It, but Michael Jackson soldiered on with the product and really it took it took a few years but uh, eventually he came back to it and it didn't I don't even think he even really got like an official release in the I think states you're right. until I think like maybe way later but and yeah. what it what is it I, cause I I've I've heard of it I've been meaning to watch it genre wise I guess I assumed that it was sort of like a horror in the way that the thriller video is a horror yeah kind of, it's definitely like in that same uh, vein as thriller, except it's a little. It's definitely sillier than okay. thriller is, though, because he play uh, Michael Jackson also plays like an overweight white guy in it too. He plays oh. multiple characters. Oh wow! Yeah, it's 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 real strange. It's a it's a weird one, and it was written like Stephen King kind of was involved, and and uh, Stan Winston directed it. Yeah, it was really odd because because for far longer than you would have expected, looking back. Anybody but anybody wanted to be involved with him, you know, like I think things were already getting weird around the do you remember the time music video and yet there was Eddie Murphy and Iman Mm -hmm. as the king and queen of Wakanda, you know, okay, but I did not bring you here because I heard the Adams family groove like I said when you have two children and you're stuck in your house for a year you watch all of the children's movies and i think many many people remember and remember fondly that first adam's family movie i'm not sure well they they did another one more recently i don't know how many people remember you already know what i'm gonna do here yeah i think so that there was a second adam's family movie and in the same way that hammer time came to an abrupt end so did adam's family time and so this movie was a a lame duck and it it sank like a stone adam's family values did not nowhere near the business the first one did and now the of the moment hip hop act was not the relatively iconic, relatively credible MC Hammer, but you already know the answer. Tag team. Tag team, right? Here we go. So, and uh, did they just rewrite their one song for the Adams <laughs> family? You bet your sweet baby they did. Hold on. You can just about, in your mind's eye, envision Morticia and Gomez getting down in the closing credits of the movie to that song. <laughs> you know, I got to at least, like, while that's so ridiculous, I there's part of me that's like, you know, I got to kind of hand it to them at the same time. Like, it's almost like at that point they had already, like, acknowledged, like, that's the only song we're ever going to have. So let's just let's just run with it and let's just make other versions of that same song and... Do you think that's the case? Because I, I used to work in pop radio, and I ne- the the one hit wonders never struck me as having that degree of self knowledge. I think it's possible that somebody reached out to them and said, "We love that whoop, there it is song. Every kid in America is crazy for that song. Why don't you do a version of that for us?" And they said, "Yeah, sure, that's fine." But I, I never met a one hit wonder who wasn't. And I and and the thing is, working in in pop radio, you don't always get the big big stars. You mm-hmm. you often get the person who everybody on earth knows is a one hit wonder, but yeah. th- that song is still big, and they're there just like shilling the new one. Mm-hmm. 
I hope you're right because I, I I've observed this many many times. They say like you know a music career can last. 20 years but uh, a, a pop star cycle is usually closer to like 18 months yeah of where you are you seem like you are a member of the the mount rushmore of the pop world and you can be largely forgotten by the people who matter children within a year and a half and for some people it's even less than that and i think if you went into you know if i told I, the guy i always use as the example of this even though his reign was a little bit longer is Janie lane the lead singer of the metal band warrant mm-hmm Janie Lane is no longer with us, obviously blatantly struggled with drugs and alcohol post-warrant. Maybe that was always his destiny, but maybe it wasn't, and maybe a lot of it was that he was on top of the world, and then Nirvana comes along, and the rug gets pulled out from under him, and it ruins his life. I don't know. If you could, like, if Janie Lane could live in an alternate timeline, and you could go see 60-year-old Janie Lane, who never stopped working at a steel mill, and go, I'll make you a deal. You can go back in time, you can be 20 again, you'd be the biggest star in the world for three years, and then it'll just be misery and heartache from then on out what is the I, I know it's just so tempting to say well to have one shot at glory to have to hold the brass ring for a second that's worth any price but i'm not entirely sure that it is and i, I observed and i'm sh- i'm absolutely positive you observed in your travelings uh as, as a musician people who did get that little taste of it and there was some either internal issue for the people involved with the band personally or some internal dissension within the act to where even during their brief period of having it all, quote-unquote, hated each other and were totally miserable and did not really enjoy the, quote-unquote, good part. Yeah, for sure. It's I think it's very easy to do. It's like, especially, yeah, especially if you're actually, like, a band and you're touring a lot. Like, when when you're just stuck with the exact same people all of the time like it even when you like those people like they'll start there'll be things about them that start to drive you crazy you know like any sort of relationship i know that's the cliche thing is like oh, it's like a marriage because it really is it really is but there's also there tend to be people not not always but i think more often than not slightly damaged people are the people who go the extra mile to achieve you know that thing in in music and i think sometimes just very very big personalities are the mm-hmm. people who make it i've joked with well he said it at the time on air so i don't feel bad saying it uh, fletcher from pennywise about him walking around backstage at a, at a at a punk show and everybody's talking about their lead singer yeah yeah <laughs> right for sure yeah, 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 and I don't think anybody who's followed that band is unaware of the fact that, uh, you know, that they have had time, at times a tumultuous relationship. That definitely does not apply to the next act that I am going to share with you. In case you haven't put it together, we're just going to be talking about horrible music that was made by name brand acts explicitly for motion pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got a really tie-in tight. I'm not going to slay Seal just because he put Kiss from a Rose <laughs> on a Batman soundtrack. Um, a very okay. strange soundtrack to you. Not to cut sorry. A, but no, a really a really <laughs> strange soundtrack. Do you recall what else was on it? It was because it was kind of all over the place. I remember at the time actually like kind of liking it because there was uh yeah. the offspring were on it. And it's like they're doing like a, a old punk cover though, but now I'm spacing on what it was. Um Well, there got to be a thing at a certain point where it was good for a movie to have a hit song associated with it and sometimes having saying Adam's family during the Adam's family song was became more of a liability and a kitsch thing. So mm-hmm. you would find bands that clearly just left a single off their album yeah. and then would put it on this soundtrack and 
it, what was the was it not City of Night City of something or other had like the one good Alanis Morissette song I don't know if you know the song Uninvited yeah that's a great song yeah it's a really good song yeah. and it's on a soundtrack for like that's a Nick Cage right. movie or yeah, something what was that I know yeah I know exactly what you're talking about and there were a couple that may have had the only not bad Goo Goo Dolls song on it right oh yeah that was <laughs> that was City that was City of Angels yeah, the, I think you're right. Yeah. What the hell is City of Angels? I don't but know. I, I'm, I'm positive you're right. Yeah, because yeah. I wanted right. it, it came up to me immediately, but then it, as it left my mouth, I was like, wait, that seems too on the nose or something. I don't know. And yet I think we're correct. Yeah. So the Nightmare on Elm Street movies featured this became sort of a thing. Just about every Freddy Krueger movie had um had a big band doing a song explicitly for it. I forget where are you on? I, I know I'm a little bit more gung-ho on hair metal than you are but where are you on that genre in general uh i was never even at the time never like super into it but there were there were bands and songs here and there that would sneak through for me like i didn't i didn't hate it but i didn't love it i'm gonna guess you weren't a big docking guy <laughs> no but i had i had two older sisters though so i'm very okay I'm very aware of don and the boys Don, exactly. <laughs> Back when America was rocking with Dokken, they contributed this iconic theme song to uh, this is Nightmare on Elm Street 4, I believe. Dream Warriors. You know what? I just realized what Dokken are. Dokken are the band that I'm afraid when I say I really love hair metal. They're the band that I'm af- afraid people think I'm talking about. <laughs> like they think. Wait, say that they one think more time. That when, when, I didn't. For, I, I don't think I said that. I don't think I said that very well. They're the band that when I say that I love hair metal, that people think I'm talking about bands like Dokken. Okay, gotcha. Well, what band? What? Who are you talking about then? Okay, so that's like a more operatic lover boy uh-huh. that we just enjoyed right there. <laughs> oh, you don't want to get me started on on the bands that I really enjoy. Um, let me see. I brought the producer of the Pretty Boy Floyd album, Leather Boys with Electric Toys, on my show <laughs> solely to talk to him about his work on Leather Boys with Electric Toys. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that what I like is better, but it's different. It's different from that. You like that underground stuff. I actually did do go pretty deep on this stuff, Tony. I know you're. I know you're having fun with me right now. But as a matter of fact, as somebody who was yesterday listening to four track recordings of unreal of like unsigned hair metal bands, damn right, damn right, I go deep on that stuff. But to me, that's what. Uh, that's what. If somebody was making a movie in the 80s and they wanted to put in hair metal, that's what they thought all that stuff sounded like. If you were to make a commercial nowadays to parody 1980s hair metal, yeah, I think Dokken is the the stereotypical uh, sound of that with very little swagger, incredibly no sense of humor. I, I spent some time with Don Dokken one time, <laughs> and he was telling me like the the stories behind the songs, uh-huh. like. Like Into the Fire was about the time he threw love letters into the fire. (laughs) Sounds fascinating. So I've already (laughs) talked shit about the Goo Goo Dolls, but now I'm going to do it in a different way. The do you have a a strong feeling about the Goos? No, I I I don't like them, but I, I mean they don't offend me either. Though you know they're just they're 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 just there. 
kind of for me. Okay, I find them offensive, and I, I get what you're. I get what you're saying. They are. They were were one of the more vanilla acts, and I think that the secret to their success was having a passably handsome lead singer, mm-hmm. who with a with a with a very great. He had like it, it, he had the male counterpart of the Rachel. Yeah, that for Jennifer sure. Aniston was <laughs> sporting at the time. <laughs> And they had, you just get used to a band name and then you stop thinking about it. Yeah. Really one of the most criminally horrible <laughs> band names that has ever been foisted on the American public. There are so many. Yes. Yeah. But that, yeah, the, I, <laughs> I think about that a lot. Bands that are like, they're, they're, these guys had a conversation and one day yeah. somebody was like, how about Goo Goo Dolls? And they were all like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's no new or insightful observation that can be made, but it needs to be said, like, what did you reject? What did not make the cut? (laughs) Which I think, am I, uh, I feel like they do have a a previous name. I feel like I've read this before, but I might be making this up. Anyways, but I know they have a kind of hair metal background. Like they were on, their first record was on Metal Blade. Okay, see that I don't know about. Because what I always knew about Goo Goo Dolls, and I took it as an article of faith because I didn't, I didn't get catch it in a really, really overt kind of way, is that they essentially started as a replacements tribute act. Like, uh-huh. they weren't doing replacement songs, but they were, with no shame, just another replacements. People don't know replacements. Paul Westerberg, one of these next big things, never got over the, the hump. Um, their own worst enemy kinds of bands. I don't know that they have a song to this day. Well, Can't Hardly Wait is a movie that everybody's heard of that nobody's seen that's named after a replacements song. And that's that. Yeah, like that song and like Alex Chilton, they're probably the two that people might know. Bastards of Young, I feel like, had a, oh, yeah, a, a yeah, little yeah. bit of a, of a moment. They're a really good rock and roll band. They're just one of those bands that they, they sound like what they were, which is a truly dangerous rock and roll band that was always uh, in danger of blowing it all at any second. And that's fun, but that's also why they never achieved the heights that I think many assumed or predicted that they would. So here come the Goo Goo Dolls going, well, we'll cut the edges off of that Wonder Bread and we'll become the replacements for the masses. Now, I just want you to know who I am. That Brian Adams piece of shit, that, which may have been the, the uh, City of Angels song. Yes, it was. Which, which you say Brian Adams, but <laughs> listen to the verse of that song. And then listen to the verse of Piano Man and tell me it's not the same song. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> it's the exact same melody. Wow. Okay, well, so I think you will you will get this. I don't. If people aren't familiar with the replacements, they won't. But I had never done a deep dive on Goo Goo Dolls because I don't care about Goo Goo Dolls. But I had never heard one of their songs that was so shamefacedly a replacements knockoff. It turns out the song that they made for one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets is a song. Again, these are always thematically, lyrically in line with the Freddy Krueger thing. So Johnny and the Goose crack at it is called I'm Awake Now. Look, I know a lot of people are not familiar with the replacements. If you like that at all, have I got a band to turn you on to? 
<laughs> yeah, I I was not aware of that one. When is that from? Right, it's on. You know? It's on volume two of the Goose. Wait, I'm gonna find out. Okay, because I'm wondering, was that like pre? Oh no, if they were doing like a, a Freddy themed song, they must have been big by then. Isn't it really weird? I was trying to figure that out as well. Okay, it's featured on the final Nightmare soundtrack. Like many of the early Goose singles released only in promotional format. So that's from 91. Oh, okay. So somehow, some way, the Goo Goo Dolls, before they broke? Yeah. Yeah, that would be pre-blow up. So I'm looking at their... I'm going to do it. I'm going to look at the chronology of singles. We Are the Normal was two years later. Um, A song that allowed them to collaborate with Paul Westerberg of Replacements. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this I don't think success came for them until Dizzy Up the Girl in 98. It was that late, really. Which is Iris, why don't you slide? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're this making me think like, about Google this Dolls. Is, is this entertaining to listen to? Two guys go, is that one this? Is this that? Huh? I hope so, because it's a big part of my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, also of arguable entertainment value is yet another song that was recorded for a nightmare on elm street soundtrack now we're going to get into the cheap cash in rap era of our playlist i was hoping you'd get to this one (laughs) (laughs) now it's funny because people not so much anymore obviously but have observed from the beginning of rap well that's not music you just talk over somebody else's beat and the problem with criticizing that criticism is that it can't be true. Yeah. And so if you call the Fat Boys and go, <laughs> we want a Freddie hip hop song, Fat Boys can give you something in about 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. And they they did. And the track is called Freddie's in the House featuring. Oh, I'm gonna, this is this is a different one than I was expecting. Is it, or is it uh, are you thinking of are you ready for Freddie? That's the one I was. OK, expecting, I have yes. found I have found it under both titles. Ah, okay. I fear that somebody may not be giving the um, the Fat Boys catalog the love that it so richly deserves online. Yes, post career. That's, that's true. And sorry if it. I'm not ignoring. If it looks like I'm ignoring you, I'm not. It's just my my very needy new friend is uh, literally just trying to force himself up onto my lap. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a noisy track. I know I said it already, but you're going to get some some noise on this. I look forward to it. So this is going to start. <laughs> with a, a, a guest verse from Freddy Krueger himself. Freddy Krueger's my name. Killing people's my game. Everything, yeah. everything you would expect from a Fat Boys Freddy Krueger song, and absolutely nothing more. Early, early rap people love to tell you their name. <laughs> yeah, and 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 <laughs> frequently in quick succession tell you what their game was. Yes, yes. <laughs> I might start introducing myself that way. <laughs> Tony Jackson's my name. Drumming is my game. At least put it on a business card. <laughs> And uh, I'm sure this will not be your first dance with Vanilla Ices. Well, okay, in terms of cinematic cash-ins, of course there is Cool, cool as, as ice. ice, a bafflingly stupid 
film. Oh man, I never, I had never watched it till like maybe five years ago or something, and it is, it is, it is something. I'm more like five months ago. It's, <laughs> it's terrific how you just fluff out like an hour and twenty minute long movie with like occasional dance sequences. He was like his yeah. own. He was his own Fly Girls. Yeah, and I also. I forget what year that came out, but I feel like it also even like came out a little too late. Oh hell yeah! Too. Oh no 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 yeah. no! That's definitely part of the legend of Cool as Ice is that is yeah. everybody had most definitely moved on from Vanilla Ice <laughs> by the time the motion picture debuted. Yeah, but while he was still striking, while the iron was hot, he also cleared about fifteen minutes in his schedule to record a song <laughs> for a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Witness Vanilla Ice's Ninja Rap. Also one of my favorites. So there's the the acts who did the same early rap cadence that everybody was doing, the this is my mm-hmm. name and this is my game thing. But when they're not rewriting their own song, but they have the exact same rhythm and rhyme scheme. Yeah. He's he's stopping collaborating and listening, only now <laughs> he's also figured out a way to rhyme something with Donatello. <laughs> Which is let's I mean, let's give him some credit. That's not easy. Yeah, he's green, not yellow. <laughs> Uh, so everybody remembers, of course, the iconic, whether you love it or like it a little bit less than that Ray Parker Jr. song for the original Ghostbusters movie, but I think less, less remembered and certainly less fondly remembered is the second Ghostbusters movie and the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. Now, I really wanted to play you the pretty goofy bobby brown song that aimed mm-hmm. to be the new ghostbusters by ray parker jr but goddamn i like bobby brown it's pretty good <laughs> it's, it's not a bad song it's not a bad song <laughs> at all unfortunately they also called run dmc Ooh, i don't know if i know this one yeah and they recorded a song cleverly titled ghostbusters Rays in Hell still really cool. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea of that one. I, I no recollection whatsoever. Now, did Tone Loke have a small role? I don't know why I'm asking you this. Like you <laughs> well, because have... Tone, you know, Tony. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Tone is his name. Rapping is his game. <laughs> I want to say Tone Loke had a small role in Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Correct. Okay, right. Which explains why he was also on the soundtrack um, along with the fact obviously that he was a household name for four months yeah and he liked to do the wild thing i'm not sure if you knew this about him he enjoyed that (laughs) and uh 
which by the way one of my favorite samples of of all time it always was was one of those things that i think i kind of held against van halen now i don't you know know the financials of it maybe it would change for me if uh if, if i had a huge financial stake in a hit song like that but to hear that and to not go damn that's an awesome riff that I made up, and I never would have thought of doing that with it. Like you, right. that's the only amount of respect that I feel Tone Loke is due musically for his <laughs> entire career. I think I had heard too that Young MC was actually writing his his rhymes too. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Actually, the guy who ran the record label now owns a pizzeria like around the corner from me, so I could probably <laughs> I could probably just ask him the next time I go get a slice at Delicious Pizza, former owner of Delicious Vinyl. Oh really? You know what? Wait, are do they have multiple locations? Because they feel, do. Okay, because I've seen that on Sunset, I believe. You sure have. Yeah, and I, it's really good pizza, and it's it's like it's it's classic hip hop theme. It's a whole it's an old hip hop label. That's that amazing. Has pizza. I'm so glad to know this because I've I've always definitely like noticed the sign looks like the the old yeah. label, but I thought it was just like oh we're just I didn't realize there was actually a connection. Good to know. I think there was two owners and they split and one of them just went off and made pizza. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it if you're in the Los Angeles (laughs) area. I do not recommend Ace is in the House recorded by Tone Loke for the uh, original Ace Ventura movie. Goes a little something like this. I think we might even have a little Jim Carrey on the beginning of this clip. Okay. I feel like that's a uh, slightly better than I expected. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, it's like deep end credits. You know what like I mean? The, like the second credit song. Yeah, I, I feel I, I I I'm not positive I'm right about that, but it, it seems like I I don't remember the song, but at the same time it didn't seem unfamiliar. And I'm like I feel, and I definitely watched Ace Ventura a million times. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's deep end credits. Yeah, that's when you're finding out that they use Dolby sound on the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man. <laughs> Whipped out Ace Ventura for my kid way too, way too young. I was like, oh, he's going to love this. Ace is silly, plays with animals, and talks with his butt and stuff. I forgot that Ace gets a blowjob like four minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd be curious, yeah, if that, uh, even even if, you're, if your kids are the appropriate age, if how that would go over now, like first time viewing now. Well, we're going to find out. We're going to yeah. find out because I'm, I, I forced my family to watch i don't think anybody knows that leslie nielsen made a movie adaptation of mr magoo oh i vaguely remember this i never saw it but yeah nobody did not good and there's all sorts of outdated ethnic stereotypes in it and stuff but there's a bit where mr magoo is preparing a chicken for dinner and somebody changes the tv from julia child to an aerobics thing and now he's doing aerobics with a chicken that it it in my living room, it played, Tony. It played. <laughs> We're doing Naked Gun. We're doing Naked Gun this weekend. Oh, excellent. Nice beaver, be damned. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember seeing that movie when I was like nine or ten years old, and like I had no idea what that. I just, I remember my parents laughing at that line, and I was like, why is that funny? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cindy Lauper. I'm, I'm going to wedge this song in. I may have played this on a show before as one of my guilty pleasures and i, I got a great song i'm just gonna u- keep using that phrase because everybody knows what you mean when you say guilty pleasure 
there I feel no shame whatsoever. I'll I'll go even further. She put a song on. I'm blanking on the name. She did a movie with Jeff Goldblum where they're both psychics. Yes. Is it Vibes? Is it maybe called Vibes? This Look, is dude, vaguely familiar. We watched it recently. It's inconsistent, but she fucking she she Goldblum has to straight man her. Cindy Lauper fucking <laughs> kills it in that movie, and she has a song that's in the closing credits that I I thoroughly enjoyed that I can't even find online. I found somebody covering the Cindy Lauper song, so I go really really deep on horrible 1980s music that Cindy Lauper made for motion pictures, but she... That her, is called Vibes, by the way. Sorry, I had to... I was like, what is that called? Yeah, Vibes. I looked it up. Her, her, the set pieces in that, it's a little slow at times. Cindy Lauper is freaking hilarious, and you will... If you if you loved her in 1984, you will fall in love with Cindy Lauper <laughs> all over again. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's adorable. She's heartwarming. She's hilarious. She put a totally solid song in the soundtrack that you can't even find any more on like german import and she put this song on the goonies soundtrack she hates it i think she added it to she added it to her live set a few years ago because people kept asking her to i i just i don't like how many of her other hit songs does she dislike like if if she doesn't like goonies are good enough that's a great pop song it's a terrific pop song and for those who are not in the know i'll get you caught up Just an absolutely joyful performer in her prime. Yeah. Great voice. Uh, yeah. I weirdly, a couple years ago, got obsessed with a specific uh, old Tonight Show with Johnny Carson clip of, of her performing Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Time After Time on the same episode. And it's both performances are so good. And they're very, very 80s. Like, aside from the performances being super solid and sounding great, it's worth watching just to see her band because that is like the most 80s band you have ever seen, um, specifically the bass player. That's, yeah, no, uh, you needed to have extra, extra flair to be yeah. hanging with. Her album was called She's So Unusual and yeah. every single bit of the Cindy Lauper touring phenomenon needed to needed to back that up. Oh, yeah. While researching this last night, and nobody's going to care about this, I, I, de- I decided to not share with you the song DeBarge. From Short uh, Circuit uh, re- 2? Recorded for Short Circuit <laughs> 2 called Who's Johnny? And along the way found out that actually Weird Al had recorded a deep cut called Here's, Here's Johnny. Johnny about The Tonight Show. You're always one step ahead. I actually, I'm a, a huge Weird Al fan and somehow I did not know that song until like a Nor year ago. Yeah, right. I didn't know it until like a day ago. Right? Yeah, I also did not know. So you and I have texted a little bit about uh, Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. and you may not recall this. It's weird because I'm not a Beatles person at all. 
I have this weird thing where I just kind of have to find music on my own. If I feel like it's the culture's kind of shoving it down my throat, it's very, very unlikely I'm going to get into it. If I find it some weird way, I probably will exaggerate even to myself how good it is. So it's like I listen to the Beatles and I've tried. I've listened to all the albums and I, I like stuff. I, a Day in the Life is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. But for the most part, like I just will never be a Beatles guy. So it's kind of weird that I will go and find acoustic demos that Paul McCartney and Elvis Costello recorded at some point in the eighties and start telling everybody about them going, listen to this. It's the most Beatlesque thing he did post Beatles. It's really good. I listen to it all the time. I don't know why I would get so into a Beatlesque thing he made in the eighties when I've never been able to get into the Beatles, but for the fact that I found it on my own. Right. And it's this obscure, weird thing. And for people who don't know, I've probably talked about it before. There's these demos of Elvis Costello and Paul McCartney from the 80s that are well worth finding. Songs you will probably recognize in wildly different forms from the way you have known them because Paul McCartney kept his finger for better and often for worse on, he kept his finger on the pulse of the pop culture and adapted his the production styles he was using on his music radically to what was happening at the time, which is why one of the ultimate classic rocker made some of the most horribly dated 80s music of mm -hmm. all time. And I did not know, and this song, by the way, is not even on iTunes, that he had recorded a, a titular theme song for the Chevy Chase Dan Aykroyd movie, Spies Like Us. Yeah. And uh, it's not good. Hey, hey, what do you say? Nobody else dances that way. What's all that fuss? Nobody else spies like us. Like, what What were you doing there, Paul? Yeah, he, he's a fascinating dude. Uh, really is. He really is. And he's fascinating in a way most fascinating people aren't fascinating. Yeah. Well, and I also, like, I've thought about this before. Of Like, it's amazing that he can ever even come across as anything remotely normal. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm sure, cause, because, like, think about that. He's been one of the most famous people to ever live since he was, like, 21 years old or something like that. And, like, he can't go anywhere without everyone knowing he, who he is. So, like, how could he possibly be normal? Right, I've heard him talk about that, and I think he is, the good part of it is, you know, to, to solve an issue you first need to be aware of the issue. And, uh, you know, I, I, he even said when he was talking about recording those demos, I was just mentioning with Elvis Costello, is that he's aware that when he sits down to work on music with people, there's often this awe factor. And he's aware that he needs to get through that to just say, we're just two guys with guitars trying to make music here. And that he found working with Elvis particularly easy because he didn't have to get that out of the way for some reason elvis costello mm. was able to just talk to him songwriter a songwriter and didn't have the awe factor so he's he's acutely aware of it and clearly at his core places a massive value on never losing touch with your normalcy i think his um 
almost tragically his romantic life makes that fairly obvious that he yeah. he met Linda he met Linda no one's idea of a global supermodel i think with very 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 rare exceptions never spent a night without her mm-hmm. for the course of of the time that they were together when he was in the beatles obviously he put her in wings so that they could tour together and then when linda tragically passes away makes a pretty bad decision in in immediately casting Linda's replacement so he can continue living this life of not taking advantage of all the opportunities that are available to Paul McCartney. Right. Right. You know, you almost have to, I mean, we're just psychoanalyzing a stranger, but <laughs> speculate the fact that the, the him marrying a woman who had lost a leg yeah. was even like, look at how much I'm not about what you would think a guy like me would be. About. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good call. I never really thought about that, but yeah, you're, you're very right about that. Uh, let me see. I got one more that's much later than the rest of these. Also, I want to say a song that was performed on Saturday Night Live despite being manifestly terrible from the Godzilla motion picture mm-hmm. soundtrack. That had some good songs on it. Did it? It did, yeah. Are you including the Puff Daddy song with Jimmy Page? I, I am not, but I, I'm very <laughs> aware of it, though. Here it is. The fact that Jimmy Page was actually involved with that is uh, upsetting. It really just goes to show you what an insanely addictive drug fame and relevance is. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't enough for Jimmy Page to be Jimmy Page. The fact that Puff Daddy was willing to say, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> over one of his songs, thereby making it a hit for a whole new generation of people, was enough for him to not only agree to uh the you know the the to clear the sample but to stand on stage next to the guy i want to say saturday night live if not i for sure saw one of the big big either mtv music or movie awards it seems familiar uh yeah um just puffy yelling i I definitely yeah i didn't like that but i i did i did own that soundtrack i specifically remember because there was a i'm a huge uh ben folds five or solo ben Folds, but this was ben folds five at the time they had a song that was only on that soundtrack i believe there was a foo fighters song that was only on that and there were a few other bands that i liked at that time that were on that soundtrack uh the record industry deserves what it's getting now it it it, it, from a certain angle when you think about the number of soundtracks that we all bought because they had one song (laughs) on them yeah and it's like an era that's pretty much gone like the soundtrack's really not much of a thing these days well, it is. They're just playlists now. Yeah. You know, I was in um, Palm Springs and we were looking for music to put on to set the mood. And I came upon the Palm Springs movie, mm. I can't say soundtrack playlist. And it's delightful. It had a, I've never been a 10,000 Maniacs guy, but it had my new favorite 10,000 Maniacs song on it. So they are, they are out there. Yeah. But yeah, but not the but but not sort of what we're talking about today. Like I feel no. like there's no like movie songs anymore. Maybe every now and then, but pretty rare. James Bond movies, I guess. 
I'm going to have to get back to you on that because I feel – in putting this together, I, I was leaning more on internet research. I feel like if I looked real hard through some of the terrible movies that my kid watched, like, like the brand new Scooby-Doo movie, uh-huh. Scoob, uh-huh. which they, stubborn, they stubbornly refused to reduce to rental price and they kept at <laughs> – own it for 15 bucks thing and uh, they, they they wait they waited me out they played the long game and eventually there was nothing left for us to watch and it was my kid's birthday and i now own scoop <laughs> and i want to say that there might actually be uh some contemporary artists on there but yeah no the golden age of these it, it was it was it was great and it was fun in a way train spotting is always the one that comes to mind for me but so much of that music was actually tied up in the film maybe romeo and juliet is a better example of where it was just uh, it. It was this tasteful selection of things that were co-branded with a cool movie. Yeah, and very often the songs didn't really fit in the movies. But if it was like I, I, I want to say, "Love Fool" by the Cardigans may have briefly been in Romeo and Juliet, despite the fact that it didn't fit there, just because it was such a goddamn good song yeah. and it was on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Okay, I for sure knew that this song existed, but I had never. I don't think heard it before because it was just not easy to get these things and i was not going to pony up to buy a compact disc motion picture soundtrack of the entirely forgettable late arnold schwarzenegger vehicle end of days just so i could finally hear what axel rose had been doing in a recording studio (laughs) for at that point he'd probably only been making chinese democracy for like six years yeah and he was ready to unveil to the world I mean, just the depth of the the insecurity of this guy, just a, an endlessly fascinating guy. Uh, okay, so here's my here's my take on, on Axl Rose that I don't think people really caught on to. Whatever you thought he was on their first album, his vocal tone changed, I think, noticeably on the second album. And at that point in time, it was an article of faith among the hair metal people, the cognoscenti that Jeff Tate of Queensryche was the greatest vocalist that had ever graced hair, hair metal or metal at all. And I don't know, you know, they made their, their mind crime concept album and they just seemed like they were the class of that whole scene. And to me, Axel's voice became noticeably more Jeff Tate-y. Uh-huh. I could point out things on the user illusions that I think are very Jeff Tate-y and I can find absolutely none on Appetite for Destruction. And I think his insecurity was such that one of the reasons why the Chinese democracy took as long as it did is every new trend that came out in music made Axl Rose feel like he needed to start over again and incorporate that new trend. And the beginning of the the the, the Chinese democracy, the rest of the band is gone, it's just Axl and Hired Guns era, was the era where I think most of us were under the impression that some sort of electro, hip-hop, nine-inch nails, prodigy, heavy metal, Judgment Night soundtrack hybrid was the inevitable conclusion that rock and roll had been building towards. Mm-hmm. And so Axel just tried to do that. And the the first song that was the, the, the public fruit of that massive undertaking, man, I don't, I, I'm sure I followed the making of the Chinese democracy a lot more closely than you did. I heard stories from like a guy who knew a guy about producers who would get f- get hired to work on it and get flown to some city and then just sit in a hotel room and they would say, wait until you get a call from Axel. And then they'd be there for like three weeks and they'd get a call yeah. and say, Axel wants to meet you at the studio at two o'clock in the morning. And then you'd go in and, and he'd come in and pace around and smoke a couple of cigarettes and go, nah, 
and then just turn around and walk out and you would get your check and you know buckhead had you know his entire life basically was supplemented by the fact that he was willing to be on paper a member of guns and roses despite the fact that he probably performed with them like three times right yeah i i uh i have one of my best friends um get, has guitar tech for guns and roses in the last several nice. years like starting uh pre Pre when they got like most of the original lineup back, like he he yeah. like worked in the era of like when they did the uh, Vegas residency, which I went to one yep. of those shows because of them. Worst show I've ever seen. Um, second of all, uh, but, but you know, and, and that's true. And there's all the photos of Fat Axel that emerged from that era that remain iconic on the internet. If he hasn't gotten them all taken down yet, at the same time, there are videos that came out from that era that were tremendous. Mm-hmm. They, they they really did. I don't know if your friend would say the same thing. I saw the I saw that band live and they were they were great. Really? Cause see when I saw them I thought like I was like I knew, you know, I was like first of all I didn't really care anyways. It was just sort of like I happened to be in Vegas and my yeah. friend was working the show. He's like, You wanna come? I was like, Sure. I kinda feel like I not really, but I feel like I should. Uh, so I went and I thought like, oh, I know it's not really them, but it's Axel with a cover band basically. So like they're hired guns, the band'll be good at least. I didn't even think the band was good. Oh, wow. Um, See, but, the band that I saw, because typical Axel Overkill, he had two slashes. He had two uh-huh. different guys that could do everything Slash could do exactly the way Slash could do it, and they could play faster than Slash. It yeah. was just Bumblefoot a total... Bumblefoot and somebody else. <laughs> Bumblefoot, and it was Ron... Wait, Richard Fortas? He had one of the replacements in there for a while. Yes, yeah, Tommy Stinson. Yeah, because yeah. that's who my friend was, was specifically teching for Tommy for a while. And, and Dizzy Reed, I think, somehow managed to see his yeah. way through from the Usual Illusion era all the way to Chinese democracies, probably still touring with him to yeah. this day. God bless you, Dizzy Reed. I think so. And so so my friend also, he he's continued working on and off with them. Like, he's even done some of the, like, reunion shows as well. Um, but what I was going to say real quick was that, um, similar to the story about flying people in, um, you know, there's the n- notorious thing about... Their shows always starting so late. They kind of just go on when Axel wants to, which I don't understand how he's gotten away f- with this for thirty year- plus years. Um, so my friend was telling me, like, yeah, that's like really. He's like, you never know when it's gonna happen, and he was in Europe with them. I, I forget this specific country, so I'll just I'll make I'll make it up. Let's say he was in Italy. The show somewhere in Italy, and uh, it's between like after the opener had plays. So my friend's going out, and he's kind of like getting stuff ready. And he said one of the other crew guys came up to me. He's like, "Take your time. Axel hasn't even uh, what, what was his Axel is still at the airport." And uh, he was like, "Oh, okay. So it'll probably be what like another like half hour or something until he's even here." He's like, "No, he's at the airport in France still." <laughs> It's like that yeah. kind of stuff. Well, it's just what your fans are willing to put up with, you know. Yeah. To he's to to a lesser extent, Morrissey's been pulling the same thing for forever, Oof. and people yeah. will continue <coughs> paying for tickets, and that's that's the way that works. So, this gobbledygook of post hair metal industrial Guns and Roses ness um, was contributed to the Arnold Schwarzenegger End of Days soundtrack, the aptly titled "Oh My God."
That classic Guns N' Roses sound. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that tried and true formula. Punk I think that meets part stones. of that song sounds like a, uh, like a radio station bumper. It's like you expect a guy to go 92.5. It just sounds like a guy who thinks if he stops doing something with every single part of his body to entertain you at all times <laughs> yeah. that you might go away. That's what I'm saying. It just speaks to his just insane deep insecurity. And I, I this is where I, I always need to point out there's like two songs on the Chinese democracy that are fucking great and to me better than anything on the user illusion. So some weird way he mm. actually did kind of pull it together. And I've seen videos of live performances of those songs that are also terrific. So he yeah. kind of, he kind of weirdly did it. I, I am not very interested in the reunion. If Izzy Stradlin is not there, neither am I. Uh, I don't think I ever knew that. Uh, one of the reasons why I, I brought up this topic is a, because my kid was watching Adam's family too. Also, because the last time I spoke to Mark McGrath, we were talking about the Arthur theme song, the classic recorded by Christopher Cross, mm-hmm. co-written by Burt Bacharach for the motion picture, the Dudley Moore classic Arthur. And I'm a big fan of songs where they, they lyrically actually break down the plot. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to just jam the name of a movie into a hip hop song. It's far less smooth ordinarily to do that with a more of a rock or pop oriented thing. I don't know what the band honeymoon suite means to you. I don't think anything. Okay. Honeymoon suite has a song that you might enjoy called new girl. Now it's, it's sort of thread. They're a Canadian band. I think from the early eighties, they kind of thread the needle between hair metal and skinny tie cars kind of thing. It's very, very 80s with, to me, I think, without leaning totally on the nostalgia thing. It's just a good song that exemplifies what was good about early 80s pop rock. So a couple years later, they're still hanging around, and I, I, maybe people who've seen Lethal Weapon a million times would know this song off the top of their head. This also strikes me as a, a an end credits kind of thing. Honeymoon Suite recorded for the original motion picture soundtrack a song entitled Lethal Weapon. right baby that is yeah did did not know that one and uh i would have been okay with saying that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah wow uh yeah that definitely seems very end credits-y for sure and and inappropriate for lethal weapon yeah yeah doesn't strike me as a let's take this out on a on a raise your lighters kind of right ballad for sure so I will spare everyone. Did we ever figure out why Prince decided to do an entire soundtrack for that first Tim Burton Batman movie? I have researched this, and I do think I at one point knew the answer. I did a a Patreon episode of my show on Bat Dance. I think that was the first Patreon episode I did. Uh, Yeah, bizarre singles. Yeah, I, I, I I did dive into that before, but that was like well over a year ago at this point, and... Uh, the the more episodes I do, the the information is getting harder to remember. Yeah, I don't think there's all that much that really needs to be said about Bat Dance. It's just this bizarre little groove that 
Prince cooked up. And then Backed Hard, they put out an album, and all of us were suckers enough to buy it. I'd never bought a Prince album in my entire life, but I was like, Prince did the Batman Same. soundtrack. Prince, well, mm-hmm. I need that. And Bat Dance was the most accessible thing on it, and it was just some thing that a member of the time might have made up on you know on a sequencer that he just went bat dance over but he he flogged the thing there's photos of him performing live as the joker doing yeah. bat dance so he, whatever it was he backed it we've already talked about the El DeBarge classic who's Johnny I don't think anybody needs to hear you can be a garbage pail kid from the iconic Oscar award winning garbage pail kids movie oh, um, oh mm-hmm. first of all yes excellent but yeah. <laughs> second yes. of all <laughs> needs uh, to be said yes um I, it just popped into my head. I believe, if I remember correctly, to say this quickly, uh, I believe in like the rough cut or something of Batman, Tim Burton h- had wanted to use some older Prince songs ah. and then tried to get permission. And then Prince was like, no, but I'll write brand new, a whole, I'll write brand new songs for it instead. That totally makes Prince sense. Yeah. I, I believe right. that was the story. Yeah. Uh, we will not be listening to either Back in Time, recorded by Huey Lewis for Back to the Legendary. Future. What can really be said about that? It's a it's like a it's a C plus Huey Lewis. Oh, I disagree. That's, okay. that's I'm a I am a non ironic Huey Lewis in the news super fan. I know that you are, and I know that it meant a lot to you. And I, I, it means a lot to me that it means a lot to you to have met <laughs> Huey Lewis when he came was able to come back out of hiding. And yeah, uh, you know what? Let's let's. Let's make a vow, Tony Thaxton. When all this is over, if Huey Lewis in the News ever tour again, I would like to go to a show with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I, poor guy. Feel terrible for the guy. I do too. Uh, and also, Pitbull has a song called Back in Time that was in. <laughs> I forget what movie that was in. It's just more, it's not even bad good. It's just, it's just Pitbull getting them checks. So um, this is where we will say our goodbye. I'm going to take us out with the Thomas Dolby created, but perhaps even in real life, Leah Thompson vocaled theme song to Howard the Duck. Oh, yeah. Also not the first time that's played on this show. (laughs) (laughs) But before we do that, remind everybody the Bizarre Albums podcast. Obviously, you have your your Patreon as well. Now I'm I'm, I'm newly well-versed in the Patreon world. So what is your Patreon? Uh, the Patreon is patreon.com slash bizarre albums, and it's weekly bonus episodes that are bizarre singles. I just focus on one song instead of an album. Uh, there's a few other little goodies on there. But yeah, the main show comes out every Tuesday, um, and uh, the, that's my I also play drums in Motion City Soundtrack, produce the Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend show. I'm also on that show, On Air Producer. Uh, and then I also play drums in a band called Don't Stop or We'll Die. Very silly uh comedy-ish songs uh and there's a podcast now called song a week that uh, i'm producing that show but then also i play drums on the new song every week um so those are my main things right now um and just real quick oh two two things i want to also share they're not they're not they're not plugs for me the only the only thing you're holding up is leah thompson singing howard the duck song okay well that'll it'll make it all that much sweeter when it happens (laughs) um uh this is not going to be worth sharing, but for my, I have to just for my myself because we're talking about movie songs and Saturday Night Live has come up several times. This is like one of those things. Do you have those things you always want to reference, but you know, like I'm the only person in the world that remembers this. Um, oh yeah, I just go ahead and reference them. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
one of my favorite things of all time. This was at some point in the mid '90s when Sister Act Two came out. Back um, in the habit. Yes, uh, I believe it was Aretha Franklin had a song on that soundtrack, and she was the musical guest on SNL. And she, so she plays her song from Sister Act Two. I don't think it was a title track. Maybe it was, but um, anyways, point is they introduce her. The band is playing. You know, she's kind of talking, and so while the band is playing. But, and before she starts singing, she just goes, from Sister Act 2, my current single. And then starts singing. <laughs> and I just, I love introing a song that way. It's fantastic. That reminds me of two things. You may well know the, the fun factoid about Aretha Franklin. She always insisted on being paid before she performed a show. She insisted on being paid cash and if people ever wondered why aretha franklin always brought her purse out on stage when she performed live <laughs> it's because aretha was bringing out the money obviously obviously a legacy of earlier in her career when that was a, a, a pragmatic move you know yeah. probably less necessary in the in the last 25 years or so also that reminds me of uh, I, I never get tired of this anecdote uh jerry o'connell who i have a complicated relationship with i've met him he's been really really nice but i spent a decent part of the 90s making fun of him uh, uh -huh. he used to have a really bad t sci-fi tv show on fox called sliders that uh -huh. me and my friend used to like joke watch and anthony anderson together collaborated on a kangaroo movie called kangaroo jack mm -hmm. i remember right right and so i'm working at this pop show with carson daly and we would bring in usually pop stars as i said often one hit wonders and sometimes it would be in a, a very unusual case a movie that did not have high aspirations to success would send us the stars and we got jerry o'connell and anthony anderson to come on the radio usually movie stars won't do fm radio to talk about kangaroo jack and everybody <laughs> knows the unspoken thing is that when you're around a celebrity you don't make a big deal out of it you're supposed mm -hmm. to act like you've seen it before but we had this guy this male guy who was just hilarious he, he ultimately got fired for like borrowing money from the vp and not paying her back i think but I, i'm bringing up anthony anderson and jerry o'connell and we're in the elevator going up to whatever floor we're going up to and the male guy just happens to get on with us and he's just standing there staring at them and staring at them and finally he goes where do i know you from where do i know you from and jerry o'connell goes i'm in a new movie called kangaroo jack it's very funny. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And that was my favorite moment of reality that I've, <laughs> that I've ever been a part of. So many good things happen so quickly there. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and the other thing I was just going to say real quick is... Uh, Please. Because uh, we talked about the Fat Boys song from earlier from the Nightmare. Sure. Uh, there is a... Uh, like five to ten minute clip on YouTube that you can find that is literally about that song and shooting that video and that movie and everything from CNN. Oh, sure. <laughs> talking about it. And it's it's just like such a strange thing that like CNN did a story on this when it was new. And I, I really enjoyed finding that clip accidentally. So recommend. And before, the before the Gulf War... CNN was much more of a mom and pop operation. Yeah. The, Gulf, the Gulf War is really what, what put Wolf Blitzer on the map. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, just had to share that. Anybody, anybody looking for some, some more info on that song? CNN's got you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you as always. I look forward to seeing Huey Lewis with you someday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably sooner than that, I look forward to seeing you again on Zoom.
I look forward to it as well. Thanks for having me as always. Oh,